right, Justin, sing the Spider-Man the Animated Series theme song. How about we go a little old school with this one? Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. <laughs> Boo. I didn't want that oh, one. Oh, shut up. Oh, shut up. You know you like that one. <laughs> I wanted the other one. I wanted the animated the Spider-Man one. I actually don't remember how that goes. You actually could have done anything. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Radioactive Spider-Man. 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 Radioactive Spider-Man. Then a guitar. Then a guitar. Then a little, 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 little and that's it oh my word <laughs> that's basically I did not it. expect that at all i miss that show except for the fact that it ended in the stupidest way possible they like, did huh? with, madam guys... webb, with, with madam webb and all that stuff or is that what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah. because mary jane and i don't re- i don't remember how but mj got sucked in through like a dimensional portal or something and the very last episode was like Madam Web saying to Spider-Man, like, hey, you deserve some happiness. Let's go find MJ. And then over forever. And then he, like, met Stan Lee or some shit. Yeah, it was pretty dumb. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that part. Yep. Yeah. All kinds of fucking stupid. Way to ruin a great show. Avia Rand, Rad, or whatever the fuck that guy's name is. It's all his fault. Just like every other fucking bullshit problem I have with Spider-Man movies. It's all his fault. Being all up on that New York City dick. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. If you could not tell by the acapella, you know, intro music from our very own Justin, we are going to be talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. We are going to talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between. And since she has been very quiet so far, Heather, what'd you like about Spider-Man? Hey, everybody. Um, Let's see. So I loved this one. I honestly think that the the Spider-Man, these Spider-Man movies, they're definitely my favorite set of the Spider-Man movies, but also um, just as standalone films and just in general in the Marvel Universe, they're just some of the best ones. They're just the most entertaining, in my opinion. And this one is no different. Um, it was just great all around. Um, there's not, I mean, it is in a sense a little bit more of the same from the first one, but different, like done a little differently, kind of like we said with the Toy Story 4 movie where you have the same plot, same storyline in certain ways, but it's done in a little bit of a different way. So um, the first thing I'll say is the visuals were really great. Um, I particularly loved the scene when Mysterio is, uh, he's talking to Spider-Man through all the mind games and changing what he sees and that hallucination thing. Um, you know, it was kind of like a, like a mind maze that he put him through. That looked really awesome and really trippy. So that was very well done. I thought that was a really cool way to do that and a kind of a way to, to show a little bit of what Mysterio can do and sort of what it looks like when he does what he does to, uh, from another person's perspective. So that was really cool. The um the scenery itself was also very beautiful. The uh, like the part when Spider Man is running around trying to help Mysterio, trying to keep everything from crumbling, um, all those you know the walls and the buildings and everything. Um, that was a great scene, and it was very reminiscent of the boat scene in Spider Man Homecoming. So I appreciated that. Um, so yeah, I mean they do have the same formula, but it was a formula that worked well and it was fun in the first one. So it worked again in this as well. Um, I also like that they explained that only those who weren't snapped aged the five years, because that was a question that people had. And I think we even talked about that on our podcast a little bit too. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, I thought it was good that they addressed that, uh, that whole thing. And, um, I also liked how they still continued to honor Iron Man in this and you see still the effects that it's taken on Peter and everybody else that knew him. Um, it was just a nice way to keep his memory alive in a sense, like even the um, <laughs> gifting him the glasses, Iron Man gifting the glasses to Peter and calling them Edith, which stood for even dead. I'm the hero. <laughs> that was just really super funny. And it was a very Tony Stark thing to do. So I thought that was a really cool homage to him uh, in this. And um 
Tom Tom Holland is super phenomenal in this. He he really does just get better in every performance he does as Spider-Man. I've always been a fan of him as a Spider-Man since the first movie and the uh, the Avengers movies that he's in. But he's just very genuine and sincere in his line deliveries. So I just appreciate that about him. He's a very sincere Spider-Man. And he does both parts well, the Spider-Man part and the Peter part very well. Uh, just being that awkward kid and, you know, just being like this high school this high school boy just trying to figure things out, but also being, you know, an Avenger. So he just does a very good balance of that. It's probably also my favorite movie with Happy, <laughs> who was played by Jean Favreau. Um, he was he was a standout in this, honestly, especially his romance with Aunt May. Um, his dynamic also with the other kids was good. Like when they're all together trying to stay alive, he was just very, his chemistry with them was really good. And then also the... Um, Ned, um, Ned's chemistry with, uh, with Peter, with Tom Holland. It's also great. Like he's a very great sidekick and best friend and they just have a really good chemistry together with that. So he was also great. Um, in general, I just enjoyed the journey of Peter in this learning to trust himself and believe in himself and to see what Tony saw in him from the beginning. You know, it's, um, it's just a great character arc. And it also, you just feel like, um, He's, he's just a teenager trying to be a teenager, and you sense that he really wants that, but he's also seen too much to just be a normal kid. So I liked that struggle that you see that he has with trying to balance that out, um, you know, because I really do feel like that's what Spider-Man would have been like, honestly. So um, I think that was a great portrayal and a great way to do that with him. And um, yeah, just the fact that he, he wants both. He wants to be a kid, but he wants to be the hero. And just this immense pressure that he puts on himself because he's not Iron Man. And he feels like he has to be because he thinks that's what Tony wanted him to be. And you just see this battle he's continuing to have throughout the movie of trying to be that when he's not. And um, so it was just a really great journey seeing him come to terms with that and just sort of grieving the loss of Iron Man still. So that was all just really well done and none of it was over the top. There wasn't too much, um, too much of the sadness. There wasn't too much of the action. Everything was just the perfect amount throughout the movie and it was very well paced. So those are the things I liked about it. Justin, your turn. What'd you like about Spider-Man? All right. I mean, maybe a better question is what didn't I like? Cause man, um, I was very, very impressed with this movie. Uh, dare I say that this might now be out of the live action Spider-Man movies that I've seen. I, I I'm very close. Uh, maybe even, maybe who knows, maybe by the end of this podcast, I will say it, but I'm very, very close to saying that this might be the best live action Spider-Man movie that there is. And l let me get into some of the reasons why. Of course, it's up for debate, but I always welcome that. Come at me because I think I'm ready. I think I got I'm defending a a very solid film here. And, and just to um uh, kind of give, I guess, some background just before I get into the like. So obviously, um, we're, we're coming off of Endgame. We're coming off the hangover that was Endgame. And of course, Endgame, as we talked about in our Endgame Cinema Slayers podcast, left a plethora of questions. And, you know, you, you heard different approaches. You heard different viewpoints. You heard people say, man, the, the, all these questions that it left open, all these, um, plot holes and these answers that, 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 uh, is the narrative, is the MCU going to struggle to answer some of these questions about time? travel and what happens here and what happens there and now that these two characters are gone tony stark and steve rogers how are we going to pick up from this how are they going to top this how are they going to continue to make these stories intriguing and i was one of the people that was on the glass half full side of that i said that i think that this is going to open up new possibilities i said that i think that they're going to take advantage of this they're going to use this to create some fun narratives that they're going to use this uh to to, to do some great things with the story and things may actually be getting better rather than looking at this as something that's on a decline and i am happy to report that if spider-man 
man far from home is any indication of what the future of the MCU holds, then man, we are still in good hands, even though we don't have a Tony Stark, even though we don't have a Steve Rogers, a Captain America, we are still very much in good hands. And this movie not only exceeded my expectations, but it did so with such a fluidity, with such a grace. And this really felt like the closest thing to what I remember when I read Spider-Man comics. The the, the feeling of Spider-Man to me was never more resonant in any other movie than it was in this film. Uh, you know, first to start off, I mean, just every character it is just done so well and it's so appealing. I really just don't didn't ever feel that there was ever a throwaway character or there was ever a character that I just rolled my eyes when they were on screen. Just everybody is so appealing and everybody is so just compelling in their roles and everybody is just so dedicated to this project. But even with this movie begins, the movie does not shy away from a lot of the questions that Endgame left behind. Immediately, we are, um, we are seeing a, um, a classroom made, uh, a class made tribute to, um, Tony Stark and some of the other fallen, um, Avenger heroes after the, um, the whole thing with Thanos. And that was kind of great. And I love how like crappy it looked with the, you could tell these were like, Photoshop pictures and you could still see the images on the pictures and stuff. It looked so high school. It looked like it was made by a couple of high school kids. So I really appreciated that. But what was awesome about it is that this movie jumps right in immediately answering some of those lingering questions from Endgame. Uh, we've already got a term now. For people who came back five years later, a blip. So now people who've been blipped are people who came back five years later. And this movie doesn't shy away from this at all. It mentions that that there are going to be people who are now uh, who are now younger than people who they were older than when they first left. You know, one of the uh, newscasters on that um, student a uh, newscast made the comment that now his younger brother is older than him and how awkward that is and how weird that is. So I love that this movie dove right into these issues that it set up. It taught, it gave you, it gave you an explanation telling you that the kids had to repeat that school year that were blipped and came back and different things like that. So now we understand why everybody is in school. Um, and then even after that scene, we get a scene with Marissa Tomei and May, and she's at this um, charity event where they are um, gathering money, they're gathering resources and things like that for people who have been displaced by this blip, by this happening where people came back five years later. And May even talked about when she came back to her old apartment, there were already people living there and how awkward it was and how people have been displaced and families are suffering. So now this is very much a world where this has happened and there are consequences, there are effects, but people abandoned together trying to do what they can to overcome that. And I can't tell you how much I appreciated that. They took all those criticisms about that and in mere minutes, they pretty much told you, okay, this is what's going on now. And I was satisfied with that. Did they answer every question? No, but they did just enough with this Spider-Man narrative to where you know they haven't forgotten about the things that they set up in Endgame. So I just super appreciated that. And let's talk about Spider-Man in this film. And there's a reason why I think that this is my favorite live action iteration of Spider-Man now, um, because to me, this was this just felt the most like Spider-Man and his journey. Like, uh, first of all, and, and that kind of ties into the pacing of this film. I love the pacing of this movie. It never seemed to slow down. It never seemed to let up. Every time Peter Parker was in a conversation with one of his student friends, a phone would ring or somebody would come or Happy would need him or he would be being pulled this direction 
or that one hilarious yet great scene where Nick Fury is confronting Peter and he's trying to talk to him and everybody just keeps knocking on the door and finally Nick Fury is like man if one more person knocks at that door we're going to be attending another funeral but and even though that was a funny scene it was just so it was a great microcosm. It was very symbolic of how tumultuous Spider-Man's life is. He's always being pulled in different directions. He's always trying to have this balance. And I love this scenario of him trying to enjoy this vacation, trying to have a girlfriend and express his feelings and about for this girl that he really likes, but not really being able to do that and, and, and not really being that because the call, the beck and call of a hero is just there tugging on his perverse cape, if you will. So, I mean, all of that was there, man. And all, all of that was done just so well. And it definitely helped the pacing of this film. I don't think there's any debate that this is the best paced Spider-Man movie. The, the, the filmmakers and the director is so comfortable. They understand what they're doing. They, they, they just, you could just tell that there was a level of expertise. This felt like an easier, more fluid story than Spider-Man Homecoming felt. And Spider-Man Homecoming was good, don't get me wrong, but this definitely felt like somebody who is now, who now understands how to ride that bike. The training wheels are off and this just flowed so incredibly well to me. Just scene for scene, something was always happening that kept me interesting. And man, there are just so, there's so much fan service in this film that, that that just can't be ignored. First of all, all the different Spider-Man suits. I love that the Spider-Man yeah. Noir suit was in here. The the Spider-Man Noir is one of my favorite versions of Spider-Man. And, and, and of course, we got a glimpse of him in the Spider-Verse film, but that comic book series was just so great. It's this real old school kind of um, mobster feel for Spider-Man. And it, it, it was just such a great story when it came out in the comic books. And I was so happy to see a version of that suit here. And then the suit that Peter kind of concocts at the end was a great looking suit. I mean, I just loved every time he had on a Spidey suit. I, I just loved the aesthetics of them, the way that they looked. Um, Tom Holland, I mean, I mean, what, what can I not say about him? You know, I mirror all the things that Heather said about him. And like I said, this is a film where the training wheels have come off. He is so comfortable being this character. He's so comfortable being Peter Parker. He's so comfortable being Spider-Man. He comes off as so genuine and likable and believable. I mean, the charisma of this guy, like if there was ever any question of who could replace Tony Stark, who could be this compelling character to really kind of feel that void that Tony Stark left behind. It's got to be this guy. I mean, the charisma, the, how compelling he is. I mean, after Endgame ended, I was one of the people that walked out and thought, okay, I, I felt like maybe Thor was kind of the most compelling character that they had out of the characters that were still alive. I kind of felt like Thor with his story and everything happening with him and the Thor Ragnarok movies before that and everything like that. I kind of felt like as far as their developed characters, I felt like Thor might have been that front runner for like their strongest character coming out of Endgame. But now after seeing this movie, it is definitely Peter Parker. No question about it. He, he and Tom Holland just carries the role with just, and it almost just seems effortless, like I said. And then he's not the only one. I loved this iteration of the Mysterio character. And Mysterio has always been one of those comic book characters that I always liked. And I'm so glad that we waited till this time period with these special effects and what we can do with cameras and different and CGI and different things like that. I'm glad that it we, we, that we waited this long to have an iteration of this character because man, the illusion sequences in this, the, the, the scenes where he's creating all these illusions and all these things and they're going after Peter Parker, the zombie Iron Man, which is kind of a homage to the Marvel zombies. Well, you know, comic book nerds out there, 
will know what I'm talking about. But that totally just when I saw that zombie uh, Tony Stark, I was like, yeah, Marvel zombies. You know, that just kind of reminded me of that. Uh, but but all of that, all of those visuals and how Mysterio can just kind of create this horrific world that you're in and it seems inescapable. All of that was there. They just really captured the essence of what Mysterio is and what makes him formidable. And I can't say enough about Jake Gyllenhaal's performances. This he was perfect. I mean, he was just absolutely perfect in this role. Um, now, not and not every time was it perfect narrative wise, and we'll get the dislikes here a little bit later. But as far as his performance of this Mysterio character, man, he was awesome. He came off as so likable and so compelling the first half or so of the film. And then when it was time to flip that switch and make that turn, Boy, did he have some fun. I mean, you I could just feel that he was having fun doing this. He really dedicated to this. He seemed like somebody who was genuinely invested in this acting performance. And it just is tangible. Like you can, it's palpable. You can just feel it as he's acting on the screen. Um, and then there were just other little performances um that were good here. Uh Peter Parker's friend, Ned. Uh, played by, man, I always forget the actor's name and I always have to wind up looking it up. Um, Mr. Uh, Jacob Batalon, Batalon, Battalion, Batalon. I'm pretty sure it's Batalon. Um, him, man, he's just, I mean, I loved him in Homecoming, but dude, he was, he was, even better in this film. I really liked him. The, 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 the time on screen that he got with Peter Parker, that chemistry that they have is just so great. And, um, he was just always there for a great funny line or just always saying something compelling. I just love that character. I just love his friend Ned. And then there was just some other people here too, like Andrew Rice, who was kind of Ned's, uh, girlfriend in this. Uh, that little couple and them dating during the trip and stuff all of that was very cute to me I liked their scenes I thought that all of that was funny or it was compelling or it just always was good for at least a chuckle or a laugh so I appreciated all of them. And John Favreau as Happy was very good in this too, man. I mean, his scenes stood out to me. He was always good. He was always good no matter who he was on screen with. Uh, one of the scenes that I really liked was where they were trapped in the room and uh, one of the drones was coming after them and they're all kind of sharing something, you know, as if it's their last moments. And uh, MJ was in there. Um, Flash was in there. And some, and some others were in there with John Favreau with Happy and they're all kind of just admitting things because they don't know if they're going to get out of this situation alive or not and that was just a funny scene man like he's got some great comedic timing and he's definitely got some talent and he's always had it but here I feel like he he shined here a, a little bit more than normally or at least it stood out to me and then even um, Samuel L. Jackson man I love the fact that he uh, something seemed off about him the whole time like all the Nick Fury scenes, the way he was acting, you could just feel that something was off about him. Like you just, it just felt like there was something a little bit not there. And if that is the result of him acting that way, because he knew that because uh, later he's going to be revealed as a scroll, putting those little notches, those little touches on his acting, the way he was saying things, getting really slow and speaking in kind of this pattern tone and stuff like that. You, you just felt that something was different about the way he was acting. And then when we get the reveal later in the film, it all makes sense. And those are just such nice touches that the director and the writing team just really nailed in this film. And, uh, and so, and speaking of that, the reason why I think that this is now my favorite and arguably the best live action Spider-Man movie is the ending. Because let me talk about that. Like, like you could argue that the, that the film, it ranges from good to pretty good to very good. But the ending of Spider-Man Far From Home is all time great. And I will say that to anybody, and I dare you to refute that. The ending of this film is all time great. This is one of the best MCU endings 
ever out of all the movies out of 10 plus years of movies this is one of the best endings that i that they have come up with and definitely out of the spider-man movies and i'll lump spider-verse in there too live action or whatever this is the best ending to a spider-man film and i mean let's just talk about that for a second so we get to the end of this film and um and, it, and, 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 you know, after the fight with Mysterio, Spider-Man wins and everything like that. And, and actually, just before I get to that ending part, let me talk about how Spider-Man won this fight. Like how he had to focus on his spider sense. And, um, when he, when he finally focused on his spider sense or his Peter Tingle, I'll go ahead and use the terminology that they used in this movie, which that was just, that, that was great. That was clever and funny. And that was a nice scene with Anne May too, with throwing the banana and he, couldn't dodge it and her going what about your peter tingle that was all just so great um but at the end of this movie when spider-man really is like let me really focus my spider sense and he starts knocking those drones apart and he finally gets to mysterio and he finally um and then mysterio had one more illusion in his back pocket and tries to shoot spidey in the head but spider-man senses it grabs him by the hand grabs the actual mysterio by the hand dodges the bullet and now Mysterio's done, he's captured. That moment where Spider-Man really focuses and really just handles his business, that is the strongest moment that this character has had as Spider-Man. As far as Spider-Man and showing his ability and why he's so freaking awesome, that right there, that is the strongest moment that this character has had. And to me, that is like one of the moment, the, the, the stronger Spider-Man moments in any of these films. Like that really just took me back to the comic books, man, because there are moments in the comics, in Spider-Man comics, where he'll get pissed off or he'll get angry or he'll find that determination and then it's and it's and it's almost like he's just unstoppable he goes into one of those spider flurries or whatever and he will beat some villain ass so i was finally happy that we got that scene in here i was so finally happy that we really nailed that scene where he really just got to show why he's such a formidable marvel superhero so i really appreciated that but to the ending of this movie when it's revealed that Mysterio had this alternative plan, that was just such a great plot twist. That was so great because now it means that even though Jake Gyllenhaal, that character is dead, you could still have another iteration of Mysterio. Mysterio could very well come back and somebody else could don that suit or he could come back in another iteration. So I like how they kind of left, um, even though Gyllenhaal died, that person died, it still leaves it open to where maybe we could even see another Mysterio again. But in this film, this is one of those where the villain's plan worked. He got everybody to think that he was the hero, which was his plan. And now Spider-Man is the bad guy. And then on top of that, J.K. Simmons, who was the original J. Jonah Jameson in the other films, returned in this film. And I mean, I screamed like a schoolgirl when I saw Saw J.K. Simmons and half of the movie theater did as well. Like that was such a great surprise. I, and, and him doing his J. Jonah Jameson shit, man, dude, it was just so great to see him. And it was perfect because everybody has always said that he, J.K. Simmons was the perfect J. Jonah Jameson. And the fact that we got to see him here, that was just such a wonderful surprise. And then this film drops the bombshell of all bombshells. And on the screen in Times Square, after J. Jonah Jameson delivers the Spider-Man is a menace uh, monologue, he reveals that P that Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. And that's how this movie ends. The movie ends with everybody in the city now knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And this is why I said that this is the best ending ever in a Spider-Man movie. And it's the best ending, or, well, one of the best endings in the MCU, because you walk out of this movie going, what is going to happen? You don't know what direction it's going to go. You don't know how this reveal, what this is going to do to the Spider-Man character. And, and, and that is wonderful. That is wonderful. These are the kinds of questions 
that you want to be left with after you finish a movie like this, an ongoing saga like this. This is how you want to leave with your blood boiling and you excited and you going, man, what are they going to do next with this? And then if that wasn't enough to make me explode, then we get to the final end credit scene. And then I get to find out that Agent Hill and Nick Fury, the ones on Earth, are scrolls. And we see that it's Talos and that and that female that was in the Captain and one of those scrolls that was in the Captain Marvel movie. And Nick Fury is actually on a ship with the scrolls going somewhere, doing something. So now we've introduced that the scrolls have been here for quite some time now. So now, man, they have just opened the doors for so many crazy things. I mean, now all the theories and all the wondering what's going to happen and all the curiosity about where this thing is going. And now and now I am right back where I was after Endgame. I am right back where I was, eyes wide open, mouth shut, just waiting for what the next film is. Just can't wait to see where this story is going to go. And this is exactly what I hoped I would feel like after Endgame. I am so happy to report that I I had a glass half full. I said I'm going to go with the glass half full. And man, the cup is filling up. I couldn't be more happy with this iteration of Spider-Man. They just did see almost everything right here. This was the great, a great, an excellent follow-up after everything that we got in Endgame. And bravo to everybody involved with this project, man. Another solid home run from Marvel Studios with this film. Holy fuck, Justin, you pulled a reverse Sterling. You went on a like rant. <laughs> no, it's good, though. It is a good movie. Sorry, I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> Damn. No, I don't know about all that. This movie, to me, is kind of a, a tale of two movies. When you look at it as a solo film, or even just as a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, I feel like this movie does uh, very well, uh, just for a lot of the reasons you guys have stated for the last half hour it i mean the characters are good i mean i the mysterio turn was what it was i mean we kind of called that back in i think the first trailer slayers or just whenever we the first trailer slayers we talked about the first spider-man homecoming trailer um whenever we did that whenever the fuck that was uh we called this we we called the turn that he was going to be pretending to be a hero he, you know, he was going to be trying to do all this stuff. And ultimately he was a villain. Um, I was, and, and, and like, even though you could see it coming, it did, it did play out very well on screen. So I did like that. Um, I'd have to agree with Heather. I did like the, you know, the illusion, um, you know, mind maze thing that he put Spider-Man through in that warehouse. Uh, it was to me, that was very reminiscent of the astral projection scene in the first, uh, well, in the only Doctor Strange so far, when the Ancient One knocks him through the astral plane. Kind of reminded me a lot of that, but, you know, with more malice and ill intent, because, you know, Mysterio's a bad guy. Um, you know, a lot of the character relationships were good. Uh, I agree with you guys. I, I, I love John Favreau as, as happy in this. I liked that you really got to see his character turn from feeling like a overly glorified babysitter in the first one to them finding solace in each other for their shared loss of Tony. Uh, I really liked a lot of that stuff and I'm not going to go too much into it because I mean, what could I possibly say at this point that literally has not been said by you two at this point? Uh, I do, I do like some of the potential of the endings and stuff like that. Um, the scrolls one, I may or may not have some issues with that. Uh, but I do like the more I've thought about it, the more that the J. Jonah Jameson, you know, podcast, Alex Jones version of the Daily Bugle, you know, outing Peter Parker as Spider Man. I do like some of the potential that does add to some things. It's also very easily fixable by things in this movie too, because you could just throw a scroll in there and bam, shit gets fixed real fast. Um, but I was thinking about it and I don't know if this is something that Justin had said to me in a previous conversation or if I heard this somewhere else, but it made me, made me think about it was the fact that in 2019 is the story of superheroes needing to protect their identity 
in the age of social media and smartphones and all kinds of stuff like is that a played out trope at this point is it out of place yeah here? we spoke about that yeah yeah he- yeah and if and if you're gonna and if you're gonna take that on i think the best superhero to do that with is a spider-man if you're gonna take that challenge on because he's a younger character he's very easily adaptable into a lot of those situations you know him being you know the base of the character always being on the younger side and how smart he is and stuff like that so just his you know ability to key into technology and trends like that and relationship woes and those aspects of things i think that he is probably one of your more interesting characters to do that with at least in marvel i mean if you're going to go into that on the other side i mean i think batman and superman would put him for a run for his money as far as like how intricate could you get in that type of scenario but as far as the marvel superheroes go he is one of the few that does hide his identity at this point still so i do like that that can add some dimensions to it and that maybe you know maybe it is overplayed and they can you know maybe the thing won't be as much as his identity has been exposed as much as it is you know mysterio framed him for the whole ordeal uh and that might be the bigger falling out than just him losing his you know his anonymity to the world and stuff like that so i mean there are some interesting possibilities when you look at it like i said as the spider-man franchise and as uh, a standalone movie itself i do think it works really well but since i really don't have anything to add as far as likes go now i get to kind of have some fun with this and say whenever you look at this movie from an overall mcu standpoint and mcu uh franchise moving forward standpoint i put it right there with Endgame and give it a big fuck this movie because i think it also breaks things and keeps things just as broken as a lot of the issues from Endgame that i had you know you had kevin feige and a lot of in the russo brothers and all these other people say things like oh hey like well, bruce banner's a smart guy so you know if like a plane was crashing during the snap you know he's not just gonna like put these people in the middle of the air and they're just gonna like fall to the ground or you know he's not gonna put these people in just the exact same scenario in which they snapped away but then this movie happens and what's one of the first things you see they're having a basketball game and bam members of the high school band just show the fuck up right in the middle of the game or whatever the fuck was going on they just show right back up where they were when they dusted away so obviously that didn't happen because that's i understand that that's not necessarily the same thing as a plane crash or something like that but that still puts them in a precarious situation of things that can happen that can injure people and it's still a very dangerous and unsafe way to bring people back i mean you can't have a motherfucker with a tuba all of a sudden peer right in front of a guy running full speed that can legitimately hurt and kill people and so it really doesn't fix that question of what happened when people got snapped back you know this obviously takes place a few months after you know in game and i understand that they wouldn't have everything figured out and all this other stuff but then apparently they're just having huge housing issues and all this other stuff and maybe they will address that later or something like that because i do think that that is something important for them to address because i mean you're literally just saying half the world's population just shows the fuck back up and i mean what happens with previous property and stuff like that it really doesn't touch on that and it it kind of it acted like it did and i think that's what bothered me by it is it acted like it did when aunt may was talking about how when she went back to the apartment room when she came back you know when she snapped back or whatever she was in the apartment or whatever that you know there was a huge kerfuffle because the 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 people that lived there at the time you know didn't know who she was and they thought it was a mistress and all this other stuff and so all this craziness happened and stuff like that but i mean i'm like you have scenarios like that which also then goes to show that like i said that they didn't just bring people back in ideal situations because like what if they then shot her because all of a sudden there's an intruder in their house and like these are the things i thought of when that conversation was happening because like i said they were acting like they were tackling the hard questions and answering these questions and they weren't they were just presenting them as answers when they're not all they are is extensions of the same questions and the same problems that i had before with a lot of this stuff i mean they obviously haven't figured out what to do as far as like ids and things like that go for snapped back people because flash thompson in one scene was drinking 
in first class. And then Zendaya's character, MJ, you know, points out that, oh, he's actually 16. He was snapped. So they obviously haven't even figured that out yet. How to address the fact that there are people whose identification and birth certificates and all this other stuff would say something. And there's there's not like a little symbol or something to show they were snapped. So it's just automatically like minus five off of this or something like that. And you would think that these are things that would be very pressing as far as things go, because then say you, you get on later to like Social Security and things like that. And these are the things I think of that you would have people at the age of 60, biologically speaking, would be the age 60, but their birth certificate would put their age at 65. So therefore, they are essentially retiring five years earlier than other people should. And that can actually put a strain on Social Security. You also have the I, the issues with alcohol and stuff like that. These people, biologically speaking, are 16, 17, 18, but their IDs and stuff like that would say they're 21 plus. So then we'd have these weird issues when it comes to uh stuff like that when it comes to alcohol and uh in in states that have recreational marijuana where everything is governed by an age limit now that's no longer applying because you could essentially now have a high school party with alcohol and in marijuana depending on what state it is where they would be high school aged students that would be legally be able to buy this stuff and causing all kinds of other crazy shenanigans i mean you would have people that essentially would be 14 they would be attempting to get driver's licenses because biologically or because their uh, birth certificates and all this other stuff would say like they're 19. And it shows that they really haven't even addressed what to do with that problem other than give a throwaway joke about it. When to me, that's actually a serious issue issue that somebody should have talked about, because if you're going to talk about it, it's great to do it in this movie, because a lot of the issues I just stated would be the ones faced by high school kids. And they, like I said, they would just do some throwaway jokes to act like they were giving an answer and they wouldn't. You know, like when Justin said he loved the fact that they introduced the scrolls and all this other stuff. Well, not introduced, but reintroduced the scrolls as a part of the main MCU continuum and stuff like that. Uh, at the end of the movie, I, I also see that being another big problem. Are we going to undo things now with scrolls? Are they ever actually going to tackle how long scrolls have been here? Like with that issue is like, when did Samuel Jackson, like when did Nick Fury get replaced with Talos? Like that is actually a very serious question. And I'm not saying that they should answer that in this, but are they opening up a Pandora's box of akin to my issues of the Pandora's box they opened up an in game where they have time travel, have time travel will use. I mean, fuck, they could do that in this movie now. Like, oh, Spider-Man just got outed. And then like Spider-Man 3 could happen like, oh, man, it's just too hard, too hard, too hard. At the end of Spider-Man 3, they go back in time and then uh, nobody knows who he is anymore. Problem fixed. That's not really an interesting story now. You could do the same thing. Like I said, a quick fix to Spider-Man's being identity being out of problem is have a scroll turn to Peter Parker and have him run around Spider-Manning around and have him being like, oh, look, I'm here. That guy is obviously Spider-Man because he's sticking on a wall. Problem solved. You know, as, as it ties into the greater MCU. Also, why the fuck is everybody up on Iron Man's nuts in this movie? I get that he was the one that died in Endgame, but this movie also posits that the in general population as a whole thinks that Captain America died during the same thing. Why is Captain America getting zero love by the public? A war hero from World War II, an icon for decades, gets nothing more than a little slide in a high school in memoriam feature? Come on. Zero sense. Because if they're positing that Iron Man is getting all this stuff because everybody knows he sacrificed himself to save the world and everything, they would have to be sending the same narrative out about Steve Rogers, that he sacrificed himself too to stop Thanos. So like, why is that not a big deal? I understand why nobody cares about the Black Widow or the Vision or anything like that. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm just saying I understand why those are, are lesser characters, especially somebody like the Vision, you know, but the Black Widow, I mean, her whole deal up until when she exposed herself at the end of uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. And then again, after that, when she kind of went back into being a, a, a shield agent type of leader in in Infinity War and Endgame and in Civil War was, you know, operating behind the scenes. So I understand they're not being a big fanfare for her or something like that. But you would think somebody like Steve Rogers, there'd be a painting of him somewhere, released a shield or something. There would be some sort of something out there in it as an in remembrance to him. It makes no like I understand that they were just really wanting to shove down our throats that Iron Man this and Iron Man that because, oh, yeah, Iron Man was in the other movie. But I feel like in the real world, you get a little of both. You know, 
you would think that you would see like that Iron Man mural that was on the side of the building that there'd be like maybe a shield or something next to it or something. You'd feel like there'd be something out there to kind of blend that two together other than just like I said, an in-memoriam thing and bam, it's done. Like, are they really going to do that to Captain America in these like ongoing future MCU movies? Are they really only going to touch on that character aspect of things in the Falcon and Winter Soldier Disney Plus TV series? Is that really the only place we're really going to touch on this? Is is that like I know as an audience, we know he didn't die. I get that. But the population of Earth in that universe does not as evidence based on that high school uh, news broadcast or morning show thing. They think he died in the battle with Thanos. So it just that seems a little disingenuous to me with all that. I feel like I'm going to keep going if I just do this and I'm going to keep breaking it down. Just one more thing. And I'll let you guys go because I guarantee you don't have as much as I do. On a sheer nerd point, I like the fact that they brought up the multiverse and everything like that. What I do not like, though, is the designations that they gave the MCU. Now, I understand what it is. It's a very direct nod. Now, I know that most people are going, well, Sterling, all he said was this was Earth 616. In the actual Marvel comics, when it comes to the multiverse, Earth 616 is the comics continuity. The regular comics Marvel Universe is Earth 616. So if you followed along with anything Marvel, the MCU could not also be 616 because then that would be them saying that they're one in the same. I understand it's a nod, but it's an annoying nod. They could have just referenced Earth 616. Like Mysterious could have just lied and said he went there or something instead. Instead of saying that the MCU was that, because I think they actually did give the MCU an actual uh, Earth designation. I don't know what it is, and I'm way too lazy to look that up. I probably will when somebody else is looking at their stuff or talking about their dislikes. But yeah, the MCU is not Earth 616. Like I said, I understand what it was, but that was fan service for the sake of fan service while being dumb about it. That was just the writer going, hey, guys, I know what Earth 616 is, guys. Come on. Somebody, you know, give me a nerd high five when he just fucked up the usage of it. So I do not give him a nerd high five. <laughs> I give him a nerd glaring scowl for fucking it up. Justin, what do you not like about this movie? Um, and th- those were definitely some interesting points, I guess. Um, I just <laughs> totally feel different about a lot of those things, but this isn't a debate. This is Cinema Slayer, so I'll just uh, move on and talk about some of my dislikes. But um, so, so with this, I really didn't have much. But the only scene that that really just kind of stuck out to me, I guess, as a bother or something that I wish they had done better. I did think that when they revealed the 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 Mysterio reveal. Um, that was probably the, the part of the film because so you had to exposit so many details in that one reveal scene because he revealed himself as the villain. Then he went down the line, uh, giving everybody a cheers and pointing everybody out and how everybody was, um, involved in this plot and different things like that. And, you know, there were some aspects of that scene I did like, like the fact that these random characters that you just weren't even thinking about at the time that you saw the movies, like random scientists getting yelled at by Obadiah Stane. Okay, now he's in this movie. Okay, random person that's that's involved with this experiment here. Now he's back in this. So I did like how they pulled from past movies and in and and put these people in this movie and said look th- this is what they've been doing the whole time and now they've joined forces with Mysterio and, and that all makes this feel like a universe that makes all of this feel very organic and it does make it feel like things are happening to characters and things even when you're not seeing them so uh, you know there were aspects of that that I liked but the scene as a whole it lasted a very very long time and it pretty much was just him explaining everything. I mean, him just explaining exactly everything about this plot, everything they were trying to do. And I just wonder if maybe there was a better way to do that. I- I'm not saying that I got a better way right now, but that scene 
was probably out of all of the scenes that one just kind of felt the most jarring to me because he revealed himself and then man that that had to have been at least a 10 minute scene of him monologuing every single point about that nefarious plot and i don't know if we could have split that up or maybe with some conversations with some of his men maybe we could have revealed more of that i don't know i feel like but i do feel like that was probably the most uh jarring um moment of the movie for me but but and like i said there were some cool things about that and jake gyllenhaal's acting i think Overall, I, I went with it because his acting was so good in that scene. He was so compelling and he was having a lot of fun and everything like that. So overall, I, I you know, I wouldn't take too many points off for that, but I did take some points off for how jarring and just how long that expository scene lasted, because that was a really long ass exposition scene. Um, other than that, man, uh, the, 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 the only thing that, that I will say is, um, is, is kind of to a point that Sterling made. Um, I talked about how they answered some of those, um, how I felt that they did answer some of the questions about what, how, how are people dealing with the blip and the Thanos situation moving forward? And they said a lot of, and I thought that they set a lot of good things up. I, I don't feel that they needed to answer and address every issue but even the acknowledgement that those issues exist that programs are being set up and that people are trying to help each 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 other people who have been displaced and who have had tragedies as a result of this so acknowledging that it's there means that you can address more of those things but honestly i do think that there were a few of those things that were kind of played for laughs and maybe it would have been cool if maybe something if one of those situations was played a little more tragic i would have liked to have seen maybe a character sad because something like that because something as a result of the blip happened to him but when i think about the film all of those scenes were played for laughs like there was the scene in the airplane with the with with parker's teacher and he was talking about how his wife put pretended to be blipped and actually she was having this affair and something like that and that was really sad like 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 what he was saying was very very sad but the way it came off in the film it kind of came off as comedic it kind of came off and parker was like oh god i gotta sit here and listen to this and it kind of came off as comedic and um and everything and i laughed you know it was effective scene but i think there did need to be some blip result scenes where we got some tragedies out of that and i do feel that that was a little bit although i like what they gave me but i do feel that maybe that was a missed opportunity so i'm hoping the other movies will um address some of those things but but other than that those were the only really dislikes i had for clarification purposes before we move on to heather the mcu is earth 199999 all right heather what did you not like about spider-man far from home i mean i would i mean a lot of what you guys have already mentioned were the little things i noticed i would say um beyond that i think that there were some times when i think peter was a little too obvious that he had left the rest of the group where it would have been really noticeable and i think that more than just MJ would have noticed him going missing all the time. So I think that that could have been done a little bit more discreetly in how they played it off. But I just feel like it was kind of some of the scenarios I felt like you you would have noticed that he wasn't there more than they did. Um, and And these are just like nitpicky things, honestly, just because I don't have a whole lot that I could say I don't like about this movie. So um, and... I also do think that MJ and Peter, not that they didn't have good chemistry, but I think that it would have been cool to see a little bit more like playfulness or flirtiness with them. And I get that MJ's personality is just kind of not really that way. She's not like a playful, flirty type of person, but just the amount that Peter liked her compared to her, like she apparently liked him just as much, but you didn't really see that side of it. And you didn't really see a lot of their friendship dynamic other than the few conversations they've had. So, you know, and they didn't do a whole lot of backstory of like, oh, they have all these inside jokes that they say in front of each other. And they didn't really have a lot of that. So if they maybe would have done a little bit more with like building that, them mutually liking each other as much as they did. But also, you know, I know it is high school kids. So what are you going to do? You know, but just that would have been 
um, I think that that would have been a, a cool thing. Not that it was a dislike, just more so something I would have been okay seeing more of that aspect of it. Um, also, so I was wondering at the end of the movie, like, how did the glasses, how did Edith listen to Peter when he transferred his powers to Mysterio? Like, she just did whatever he said, even though he had already transferred his powers. Is that something, like, would that have happened? Because I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, that wouldn't have happened. I would argue that that was like a safeguard or something like that, where, you know, while... Anytime Peter talks. Well, yeah, he might have transferred control of Edith over to uh, Mysterio. That might not mean that it necessarily quit working for him, though. Like, it would just be a dual okay, so situation. Okay, so in control okay i gotcha okay yeah i was just kind of that part of it was kind of like wait how did he just so easily do that you know but um but yeah so that i mean honestly other than what you guys have already mentioned that i do agree with on some of them i would say that those are the only things i really um would say were dislikes for me Jeez, that's it. Um, one thing I also want to say that I forgot about earlier, but I was reminded of, is that I also didn't like the fact that they kind of did play off that, like, moving forward, more or less that Spider-Man is the next Iron Man type of character with everything. Yeah. Like, he was the successor to Iron Man. I didn't like that. I think there are so many other interesting characters from the comics and stuff like that that they could bring in and do instead of just automatically de facto passing it on to him where you could, you know, where there there's other things. It's I think it's more interesting to keep Spider-Man his own character and having somebody like an Iron Lad or an Iron Heart from the comics come in and be the new Iron Man. I'm like, fuck, let let Rhodey be the new Iron Man for a little bit. Just something I I. I just feel like that was a little cheap just to automatically default to it being him. I would have rather him see like, you know, go through the progression he went through where he was like, I can't live up to that. I can't live up to that. And then him realizing he could, but that he doesn't necessarily like that's still not his role, though. I would have liked to see that, that he was like, I can be Iron Man if I need to be, but I'm not necessarily I'm I'm still not Tony Stark and that I I'm Spider-Man. I'm not Iron Man. I would have preferred something like that instead of him just doing it out of fear and then going, never mind, I'm both. And that just that seemed a little weak to me. I think there's way more better potential stories out there that we're now missing because of that. Anything else on this guys before we move on? Nope, I'm good. Nope. Heather recommendation and score um i do definitely recommend this um like i said at the beginning these are some of my favorite set of the marvel movies i just think these movies are so great and so well done uh mostly due to tom holland's performance as spider-man but just the good story and the pacing and all of it it's just so great like the whole um or the the both of them, the homecoming and far from home are both just really great. But this one is, it's, um, it's maybe just slightly under as good as I would think that homecoming is, or that I would say that homecoming is, but it's still just a really, really great movie. Like if you're a fan of Spider-Man or if you just, you like the Marvel movies or you just like action, honestly, there's just not really a reason not to see it unless you just hate superhero movies, but it's a really great movie. Uh, I do definitely recommend it. Um, I'm going to give this nine incriminating photos of Peter with the European blonde out of 10. Justin, go. Well, do I recommend this? I mean, of course I do. I mean, I think that's pretty evident by my like section. Um, You got to see this movie, especially if you're somebody who's been following the MCU universe and everything like that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the movie's already made six hundred million dollars. So you probably have seen it by now. By especially by the time we release this podcast and everything. But if you're on the fence about it or if you're like, oh, man, you know, after Endgame, man, where could they possibly go from here? This is really, 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 really good. Like I said, in my opinion, it. It, it it was a great follow up to that. It sets up a lot of things. It sets up a lot of things and leaves you with the right questions, leaves you wondering where it's going to go, where the narrative is going to go. It it, it 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 checks every box, man. It's funny. It, it had some great comedic parts. The acting is spot on. It takes bold. It makes some bold choices with the Peter Parker character, kind of alluding to the fact that maybe he will be taking that 
that, that mantle from Iron Man. And maybe he is the guy that can be the next kind of leader or at least that icon of the MCU to, to stand behind. And I'm okay with that. It had to be somebody. And this is the most compelling character you have. I think that the headache of introducing somebody else and trying to say, okay, accept this person as Iron Man. I just don't know if that works more than this. Spider-Man, and really in a way, I'm a, I'm more okay with it because I know I know in my heart of hearts, being the comic book reader that I am, following this character for as long as I have and understanding his place in the MCU, Spider-Man, and I believe that even Stan Lee has said this, that, that is the best character that, 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 that Stan Lee has created. He is the best. He is the one, man. He, he is one of the, the, he is their most iconic hero. He is the best hero that Stan Lee has conceived. And it's because because of the essence that you saw in this film it's his his uh, how hard it is for him to balance that want to have a normal life but that call of a superhero everything that he goes through and being and this version of it being such a young kid and having all this thrust on his shoulders and him buckling under pressure but finding that um encouragement in that place within and trying to step up and take this mantle he's gotta be the guy he's the most compelling character we have right now like i said and i don't think there's any debate about that and you got to see where this journey is going. You got to see this film and you got to see what they're doing with this character. I think that Spider-Man is exactly where he deserves to be. Um, he's earned this. This is what he is to the Marvel Universe. And this is where he deserves to be. And I will stand by that and see what they do with the rest of the films. Other than that, like I said, this movie takes some bold chances. Not only that, it sets up some great things. There's a great surprise at the end of this movie. Movie. The the after credits are great for conversation, leaves things open for us to wonder more. And we're going to flock to the next MCU movie and we're going to line up to see it because this left us with those questions. And now we're going to go talk to our friends and we're going to tell them to go see it so we can have discussions together. And that's what this is all about. I mean, this is a MCU is just a masterwork in how to do these superhero movies and how to continue telling these stories and making them still compelling even after you've lost characters. So to me, this is the best live action version of Spider-Man. Now, you may be able to make some arguments that Homecoming might have a better developed villain. I think overall, I think Vulture and how close he was to Peter, the close proximity that he had with Peter and the story that they gave him. I I think his story is a little bit better told than Homecoming, but as a film, just holistically as a film, this has a better ending. It has a better pace and flow. And I felt like Mysterio was way more grandiose and he was way more visually pleasant and the battle scenes just seemed a lot more intense and a lot more effective in this film. So for those reasons, I can put it over Homecoming. Um, uh, overall, I give this movie, let's go with, we'll go with 94 <laughs> Spider-Man web slinging with MJ through the city, her screaming and yelling and saying, I will never, ever, ever do this again out of 100. You got to go see this, man. This is one of the best MCU films that we've gotten in this phase. And this is definitely one of the best Spider-Man films. I mean, it's it's worth a watch. Like I said, um, as a solo movie, I have very little problems with it. Most of my issues are where it fits into the grand scheme of things uh, with the MCU and stuff like that. So as an individual movie, I do recommend watching it. Um, as far as the greater MCU goes, I mean, yeah, watch it. Because if you've watched them all up until this point, why the fuck not? I mean, it's still not... It's still, it's still not one of those movies that ruins everything. I, th I feel like the MCU uh, started to get ruined well before this movie. So I won't hold that against Spider-Man uh, for, for those purposes. But as it goes for itself, I think it does work very well. I think that the MCU versions of these Spider-Man movies are the, are the best version of Spider-Man you've gotten on the live screen and 
yes, that includes the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans even before Spider-Man 3, because those movies are just beyond shitty-ass garbage, and, you know, fuck those movies. But that's not the point here. The point is, is with these, I think that these are the best live-action Spider-Mans you have gotten so far, and they work very well together. I do agree with Justin. I think, I do think that the Vulture was a well- a, a way better developed villain, unlike Mysterio, who at one point just kind of looked like an angry Steve Jobs on the side of the stage going, Tony named my technology barf and being all, you know, curmudgeon over there with his black turtleneck and shit. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of positives, like I said, when you view it for what it is. So it, it, it's got a lot of ups. It's got a lot of downs. It kind of puts you on a, the type of roller coaster you want for a movie like this. You want some laughs, you want some some gasps, you want some some action, you want you know, you want some you know, you want that little bit of character development. And in this movie handles all of that uh the right way. So I, I, I would recommend it. I've been going back and forth on my score a little bit in my head, but I guess ultimately I'll give it the score that I thought of when I first finished watching this movie. And that would be 80. I don't even know what to fucking break it down into. All right. So let's say 80 scenes of Happy and Aunt May disagreeing on their relationship status out of 100. Nice. Anything else, guys, before we close this out? That was a higher score than I thought you were going to give it. I'll just say that. Well, yeah. Like I said, I didn't I didn't say a lot of my likes because you guys said them. So that's why. You also compared it to Endgame and you didn't like Endgame. So that's why I said that. Well, I said as far as the MCU goes. Okay. Which in-game is more directly related to the MCU as a whole than a Spider-Man. Justin, what have you been trying to say? <laughs> I know. I kept, I was like, I couldn't get it out. I'm sorry. No. All I was going to say is, in the chill of night, at the scene of the crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, he ignores. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up. Wherever there's a bang-up, you'll find the Spider-Man. Is that the one that you wanted, Sterling? And on that note, thank you guys for listening. No, on that note, guys, thank you for listening to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Uh, check us out on the interwebs, www.cinemaslayers.com. If you go there now, by the time this podcast is up and live and everything like that, you might notice it looks different because we have revamped a lot of stuff on the website. There will be some more stuff coming to it, but it is pretty much for all intents and purposes, a completely new website for you guys. Check us out anywhere podcasts are listened to. If you can't find us there, let us know. Rate and review us anywhere you do listen to podcasts. Oh, I do not know what happened on there. Rate and review us anywhere you do listen to podcasts. Recommend us to your friends, your family, your enemies, anybody you can think of. We will also be debuting a new logo, which is just a tweak on the same logo, so don't expect anything too drastic. But it is a little bit of a tweak on it, and we will be having some new merch with that, so keep an eye out on that. We do have some other podcasts coming your way from me and some other people, so keep your ear holes open to that, because they will be coming your way very, very shortly. I, I do know that Heather and Jasta will appear on those at some point, so you will definitely like to hear in that. We will be having some videos and more content like that coming your way, too, as soon as we can get some of that stuff figured out. So we are just going to be coming at you from all directions, just like Mysterio did with Spider-Man. And just remember, guys, according to Justin, Moon Knight and not Spider-Man is the best picture winner. What the fuck? Mm -hmm.